Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. And welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real life experiences and the tools they develop to help them move forward and live happy lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today, we're going to have a little co-host conversation. And we have just such a huge box of things that we could reach in and grab and have conversations with, right? I mean, mostly because we just like to talk to each other. <laughs> well, there's that, but there, uh, but <laughs> this huge box of like all these things that happen yeah. when you lose a person. It's the ripple effect, right? Right. All all of the little fallout pieces. And today, you and I decided that we we're going to kind of have a smorgasbord of conversation, but they kind of all have a theme. And we're going to be talking about the changes of relationship and connections when you lose your person. And you brought up an interesting one. I, and I've been inactive for enough time that I didn't have like a ward family family so much that was like putting their arms around me in that kind of way. I felt a little bit disconnected anyway. But I had some group of friends that John and I would go out to dinner with occasionally, you know, but pretty regularly. And we've known these people for a long, long time. After John died, I felt like that at first they made an effort, especially with my birthday the second year. They took me out and it was a little bit awkward going out with two couples and me. So I was the fifth wheel instead of the third wheel. But it was so nice to finally go out with couples again. And I'm fine. I can carry myself fine with couples like I don't mind being in that dynamic absolutely and it was interesting though too because you know how you have like you're a couple and you have your own little like nitpicky things when you're out with the other couple and you're kind of like pushing on your spouse's buttons and then they're pushing on theirs and there's like these weird dynamics like there's a little bit of that going on and I'm like huh yeah, like there's some things about this I don't miss anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my battle any longer. Um, but I, I mean, fun things. But you were mentioning that you you haven't been asked to really like be the third wheel. Well, here's the thing. And I can go back to before Brent died when he was deployed. There's a certain oh. social aspect for married people that tends to involve married people. And I think we could we could even find a young couple that are mm-hmm. married that maybe a young person not yet married. When you get married, it seems you kind of graduate into married friends. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know, it's probably just commonality. And then when you start and having then you have your young kids, children and then your yes. single kids with or your coupled friends without children. Right. It's a, a different dynamic. Uh-huh. Or maybe you're the one that disappears because you <laughs> yeah. have a child and you no yeah. longer can maybe go out as freely Friday night or something. So I can look back over the course of my marriage and see how has my marital status influenced my social life. So first, I got married in September of 2003 and Brent left with the Army in January of 2004. I spent the whole next year married but single. And I joke, but I'm super serious. I was a killer school teacher that year. 
killer. I got half my master's degree done that year because you know what? I didn't have a social life. Mm -hmm. I, I was married but single. So you don't hang out with the married people by yourself, but it's weird to go hang out with the single people because especially at BYU, I'm married people. And so that was kind of that first experience. And then on and off again throughout our marriage with deployments. And so we'd, you know, we'd have maybe some couple friends we'd go to dinner, we'd go see a show, or in our case, a lot of our social life was tied to politics. Mm-hmm. We'd go to a luncheon or a dinner, some kind of event where Brent would be invited, and I'm kind of his plus one. But it was couples and couples and couples and couples. And so then you get to the point where when he died, after having been deployed almost an entire year, I gained a lovely social network, lovely social network of other widows. It seemed everybody who knew and loved me and my family wanted to connect me to every other widow they know and love. And I appreciate that because you and I know there's a mutual understanding Mm -hmm. from widow to widow. Empathy, compassion, you just get it. And I'll tell you, some of the widows I know are some of the most incredible people I'll ever know. The strength they have, the resilience. So I don't not love those associations, but I would find myself thinking particularly right away like, I don't only want to hang out with other women whose husbands are dead. I don't only want my children to see my interactions with other fatherless homes. Or, um, And to be honest, I think men and women need each other in more than just romantic or oh, yeah. married ways. I think men and women oh. are intended to interact, to converse. And I craved that, especially yeah. having been so involved in military and politics, which tends in our culture to be a lot more masculine uh, Mm -hmm. topic a lot of my new widowed girlfriends weren't necessarily into some of those the politics and world order now keep in mind after Brenda died we get the pandemic we get race riots we get all kinds of like political gems horrible and great topics and I just think man I want somebody I can talk to about and you lost your military guy and I lost my apocalypse yeah (laughs) buddy (laughs) like I literally married John because I'm like no matter how bad the world gets you're gonna be fine I'm gonna be taken care of he was such a prepper he was such a MacGyver he was he could build anything out of anything and he was so good at those things and I I still am kind of ticked off like really you die and the world falls apart. It's really starting to be useful here, John. I can't tell you how many times during that first few months of the 2020 shutdowns and closures mm-hmm. and pandemic and everything, I would reach for my phone intrinsically to send Brent a headline. Like, oh my gosh, what do you think of this? So you've already lost that person mm-hmm. that you've been married to long enough. You have that connection. Clearly, you have common interests. That's what's kept you married, got you married in the first place. But people don't think of the fallout of the rest of your social circle. Mm-hmm. And so no longer am I going to dinner at political events because I wasn't married to a politician anymore. And no mm-hmm. longer am I invited to go to the play with the couple because they're going to go with another couple. And pretty soon, you know, my life is busy and full. Don't get me wrong. And and you and I know, and we've talked about this a lot, I am not personally in a position where I'm looking to date. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking to find another love. I'm not really even looking to find a wild social life because guess what? I have not a lot of time for that. But there's always room for interaction with social relationships. You know, I would even think in a, in a church environment, most of our listeners know I am very active in mm-hmm. the Latter-day Saint church. And... You know, we, we focus on families so much in the Christian faith in general, and we go to church in families, and we have activities for families. And- That's the hard thing in being in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's like, you know, you go, and everyone's in their family units, and it's all about families, 
But then there's always this weird part. I think it's a little bit, I never could figure it out. Like, I never could really unbreak it. Like, yeah, we would find couples in our ward and we'd go to dinner with them occasionally. But I still feel like there's just this weird level of what's appropriate and how that looks. Like, in California, with people who were not members, we'd go out to dinner and then we'd go over to their house and have conversation for another hour or so and then go home. That would not happen in a Utah situation. It's like very much like, no, we're going to go to eat. And then we go <laughs> and then we're going to, home. Our, to our separate homes. Well, or and- maybe a movie, but then you're not even talking. Yeah. So, you know, it's just kind of an interesting dynamic. And then when you're single or divorced or, or widowed, widowed, sure. the problem then becomes there's this whole like what's appropriate with a man. Certainly you're never going to have a conversation alone. Right. Because well, avoid all appearance of any potential evil. Sure. And then the couple thing is just uncomfortable. But here's where it's just not. Here's where maybe encouraged. I dis- Here's maybe where I disagree with some widows or, or divorcees and, and single people. I know there are some people in the church who, or even outside of a church setting, I know there are some people who are not currently married that are very uncomfortable being with other married people. They find themselves getting bitter. They're mad that they have this happy life. They're snuggling over there and my husband's gone. I don't feel that. I feel like, can I just hang out with you guys? And so what I would like to do is kind of normalize the third wheel. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Half of the world is a third wheel. So do the third wheels of all of us have to hang out with each other? And I think we have a tendency to want to graduate people out of widowhood by Mm -hmm. marrying them off. Mm -hmm. Now, one day you're going to remarry. I'm going to remarry. Okay, great. We've accepted that. I will still always be Brent Taylor's widow. You will always have lost John. And so let's not graduate people out by pairing him up, but let's include that social circle. So to anyone listening, if you know a single person with or without children, keep in mind they might like being involved with couples. They might enjoy going to dinner with a family. Like I think sometimes for my family, I would love for my children... To have dinner in the home of another family that has Mm -hmm. a mom and a dad and kids. Now, my kids have great aunts and uncles. They have, you know, I have a crazy extended family. What am I saying? We're 30 of us every other Sunday for dinner. Mm -hmm. It's not that my kids don't have men in their lives. And it's not that we sit home bored and feeling sorry for ourselves. I'm looking for relationships. I would love to see my children interact with a married couple. Mm -hmm. What, What do my kids know about marriage? All they know is widowhood. What do they know? What does that look like? And so when we have this social fallout, I think that's the word we're using. Keep in mind that when someone's marital status changes, let's try not to destroy the entire social structure. Now, I will say one of the greatest blessings in my widow life has been what has become Brent's foundation. Very unintentionally, the very grassroots started. But there are a lot of couples who've been involved in the flag missions, who've been involved in helping us raise money for scholarships. And I'm grateful it's couples. And many of them will come, even they'll bring their children to the activities or the service projects. And I'm grateful for that. But I'm also grateful to know that I'm going to show up. It's just me. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to bring me a date. I don't need you Mm -hmm. to set me up with your divorced friend or your widowed brother. Can I just come? And maybe you think it's awkward. Let me give you a chance to prove it's not awkward. Let's not make it automatically awkward to have the third will. Because, again, half the world right now is a third will. Half the world's not married, divorced, widowed, all of the above. So let's include each other. I'm part of a Facebook group. um, It's called Nuts. (laughs) 
Sounds about right. <laughs> the Northern Utah Tribe of Singles. And, oh, I love it. Yeah. And there's another one in Salt Lake. It's called Sluts. Oh. Salt Lake. <laughs> we'll stick with nuts. We'll stick with nuts. Salt Lake. Uh, anyway, they're yeah. singles too. You've got your tribe of singles. Yes. So we got the but tribe of singles. not necessarily a dating website. It's I mean, not... It, it's not for dating. Sure. Now, there's been a couple people that I think have found each other. Which can be like a fine two, byproduct but if it's like, not the direct intention. Yes. Please do not think the right. entire social world for a single person has to be so, ending at marriage. Right. This group, in fact, you should join it. Yeah. There, there are a wide variety of people. So I some, love that. Some are very active LDS. Some are not at all. Some are other religions. Sure. Some have no religion. But the commonality um, is they aren't currently in a marriage relationship with two living people. The commonality is they're all single people who would like to be engaged in a social life. I love that. And so with other first, adults of both genders. Yes. And so it started a couple of years ago and it, it was like, it was ridiculous. Some of like there's events all the time, all the time. And they they range from a house party that somebody lets everyone come over. They turn on music. People are dancing. People are outside playing basketball. People are doing whatever they want to do. And um, there's been like Crystal Hot Spring Nights and, you know, just a, a million different events. But the nice thing about it is... It's a pretty broad group of people. There's people from like 30 all the way to 55-ish in there. And the commonality is we all just want to have a fun social life. And so if you are bored or if you're down or if you are like, I've got to get out of this house. I can't handle it another minute. There's something to do anywhere. And they've been going through COVID. It's a pretty good group. I think the activities have slowed down, but honestly, I couldn't tell you that, to be honest, because for as extroverted as I am, I've participated in three, (laughs) three events. But but to know that the option is there, and I think... It's fun to watch them. They've had proms. Oh, I love it. They've had proms where they, a couple of them, um, where they've put on a big prom and girls had to ask the guys, and so it was a little bit different. Girls' choice prom. A lot of just fun, crazy events that are just like getting out there life. And, yeah. and having a social life and getting to network and grow your community. Right. And I've met a lot of amazing women in that group. I haven't met any men that I, I would date. But um, but again, that wasn't the intent. That was There's never the intention. There's lots of dating websites yeah. and dating groups. And let me line you up with everyone. Um, I will admit I'm at a point now in my life where I kind of feel... Like I'm on repeat from 20 years ago. Yeah. Like I'm not going to lie. I bet you do. And I'm trying to figure out who I am and what I want to be when I grow up and what matters to me. And and I've got this great, rich history of these beautiful years married to Brent and everything he taught me and we learned and, and lived through together. And then I'm single, which I don't even identify as single. Like that's weird to me to say I'm a single mom. I'm not a single mom. I'm very married. You know, my, my belief is I'm still married right. to Brent. And, but I find myself. I feel very married to John. And, I mean, and I, I am. And I'm still right. sealed to John. Right. And, and you know, I might still, not be active, but I'm still. But you're still. And like I said, no matter what happens to your marital status going forward, you will always be his widow. Mm-hmm. You will always have those 30 years, those four children, those memories. And so. And he can't go anywhere. No. Because he. And ha- let's my not try to make him. Right. He yeah. has my grandchildren and my grandchildren have his heart with them and yeah. they they still talk about him and they still want to talk about and him. And they keep were that little. Alive. They were little yeah. when he died. You know, my youngest grandson is now the age of my oldest grandson when John died. Oh, wow. Um actually he's a year older. Hmm. 
now. Time goes so and, fast. Yeah. And it's weird to see how little he is and, and realize, oh my gosh, Camber lost so much at such a little age. You have Carolyn. I like, see that. I see oh. that with Lincoln. Okay, so oh. my Lincoln, who's 14 and six foot 100, I swear to you. I know. I, and, and I then, look at him, I go, that kid's 17. And then my little Jacob, who's 10, he just turned 11, but let's say for the moment he's still 10. I was recently at a speaking event several months ago talking about Jacob, who is 10. And at some point in my speech, I mentioned Lincoln, who was 10, the day Brent died. Oh. And that was such a huge eye-opener for me to be yeah. like, my Lincoln was my little Jacob. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this this little child in a man-sized body was that little when his dad died. And so I think let's let's think about the collateral relationships after loss, divorce, yeah. uh, divorce, breakup, death, whatever it is. If you know someone who is not currently in a perfectly happy, let's go on a date with double couples kind mm-hmm. of relationship, still invite them. Maybe invite them over for a yeah. Sunday dinner. Maybe take them with you if you guys are doing a fun night at, at, at the Rush Complex or you're going bowling. I think this tribe is mm-hmm. such a good idea. Let's have a social tribe. Ladies, do not worry that I'm going to try to steal your husband. I don't want him. You could totally have him. I like mm-hmm. the one I have. I think we do sometimes feel that awkwardness of third wheel. Let's try to make it a little less awkward. I think yeah. men and women need each other for far more than just romantic relationships. I think it balances perspective. I know my children need men and women in their lives. Mm-hmm. And you're to the point where you're ready to date and look for another beautiful, loving, loving relationship. I'm at the point where it doesn't make me vomit quite as badly to think about it, but that's only because I'm trying to be open-minded. But I'm not there. Like, if you call and ask me on a date, I'm going to probably go throw up and say, oh, my gosh, no, change my number. But if your family... Or your couple, or my couple friends I used to hang out with, Brent. That feels call safe. And say, Jenny, do you want to come? It feels inclusive, right? Can I be included, even though because I'm we're all single, yeah, and because <laughs> we're all still looking for connection. Connection. We all yes. need one another, and not all now more than ever, and not all connection is marital. Right, and, and it's it doesn't not all sexual. No, no, and yeah. romantic, not at all. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is the social side. We're right. going to come back and talk the family side and how particularly extended family relationships change after loss. So mm-hmm. bottom line, inclusivity, you guys, this is the age of inclusivity. It's not just about race and gender and those things. Let's include marital status in that as well. Okay, yeah. we'll be back. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Michelle. All right. Family fallout. And that sounds bad because family fallout makes it sound like the whole family in the world fell apart. But it does. But it kind of does. It at least changes. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to start with this story from my childhood and then let's jump into adulthood. So many of our listeners know I lost my father when I was 10. Um, my mom and dad had filed for divorce at the time. My dad died by suicide. There was a rocky relationship. 
And I give great kudos to my mom and my dad's surviving family for the way they kept us connected over the years. And I'll admit it wasn't always a natural connection and it wasn't always um, easy. I think we had varying degrees of connection among my siblings. My older brothers had always been closer to my dad. My sister and I had always been closer to my mom. I, I became definitely attached to my mom. So she was there. I was in. If she wasn't there, I didn't want to go to sleepovers. I didn't want to be away. But that was more just my own attachment to her. Now, my younger sister, who was only six when our dad died, she's very close to my dad's family. She grew up, I call her, she's the family mascot. They all rallied around this this young little child that, that was far more involved with my dad's family. But as an adult now, and particularly as a widow, I see with different eyes the effort, particularly my aunt made to make sure we were still included. She would, she would take us to symphonies and to plays and she would, she would send letters and, and she, I look at not only the connection, you mentioned connection, Mm -hmm. not only the connection we had, but the culture, our family was broke as could be. My mom couldn't take us to a symphony and a musical and a play. I grew to love musical theater. I grew to love a night out. Was she married? No, she's never married. It's my aunt Joellen. Hello, Toots. We love you. She's the matriarch of our family. My grandmother died when my dad was 11. So I'm third generation young widow. But this beautiful aunt of mine, Joellen Ashworth, has kept, all of us would say, she's kept us all together through death, divorce. It doesn't matter. But I know it took effort Mm -hmm. on both sides. And I know it didn't necessarily come always easily. Like I said, there would be sometimes where particularly with suicide in the 90s and the the stigma associated with that still, there'd be times where I would feel almost defensive of my mom because sometimes there'd be this unspoken blame to my mom. Now, whether or not that was assigned by my, my dad's family or even my brother's, that's not today's conversation, but I would sometimes perceive that. And then I'd find myself in defense of my mother almost assigning some degree of blame to my father's family, which of course isn't fair either, but we get defensive. Mm -hmm. And so I think when there's those tragedies, whether it's death or suicide or divorce, it's very natural to take sides. Now, I don't think taking sides is good. I'm not recommending take sides. I think particularly with children inside, we all have involved, we have to be very careful not to take sides. But I think it's the natural reaction. As we said, when you're a married person and somebody in your married couple disappears by death or divorce, you kind of take the side of other married people. Not Mm -hmm. intentionally, not rudely. You're Mm -hmm. not trying to leave anyone out. It's just natural to side with what feels natural. And so let's talk for a second about relationships with extended family after the connecting person is gone. Brent, yeah. in my case, is my connecting person. To my his father, family. my father mm-hmm. was the connecting person to to uh, the Ashworth side of my mm-hmm. family. And I will say, I'm very grateful for my cousins, my two aunts, and my uncle, and the great compassion they have showed me these last four years. I feel like I know them more, and I'm closer to them now as an adult after losing my own husband than I was as that kid that was kind of awkwardly stuck and that's my late father's family. And my mother did remarry and so there were dynamics there. But my father's family has had an abundance of compassion having watched my father die and now the father of my children. They've been incredible and I'm so grateful for that. I know it doesn't necessarily come naturally. It takes effort. So let's talk about what does that extended family fallout look and feel like. So, you know, for me... uh it's going to be different for everyone, right? Because it's going to be based on the relationships you had with, with them before that person died, too. So John's family, he comes from a family of six. He would always say, I felt like I was raised in a hotel. We, I knew who, who my siblings were, 
they all lived in, in separate areas of the hotel, but we just came and went and did our own thing. So he didn't really grow up in a connected space. And I never really understood that. I only had two siblings. I felt like I was close to them. We had our own strange family dynamics. But I would say I made a concerted effort with John's family to bring connection. And we used to go up and visit his family all the time when we were first married. And we loved to go up and and stay on his family's little ranch and, and hang out there on the weekends. And we'd stay the night and have dinner with them. And it was fun. We end up moving. We still go out to California. We split my time then between my family and his family for 30, well, for for most of the first 20 years. years. And sometimes it was once or twice a year that we'd go out there. We forfeited family vacations to go take the week that off was the work. vacation that was right, the week to visit family to visit family mm-hmm. and um i i look back at that and i i really regret it because for all of the effort made there was very little return and i think that i would have gotten a greater return having invested that time with just our family in vacation because i ended up doing that towards when my kids got older i started even taking my kids on vacation without john so I don't know. There, there's so many dynamics around and this. There's like, no right or wrong there's way. There's no right or wrong way, right? But like we recently lost um, a family member, and and I was at the funeral. This was about six months ago, and one of the family members was like kind of dismissive about my presence at this funeral, mm. and I I just thought, well, I've lived here, and I actually had an established relationship with this aunt. Probably actually more so than this person did, yeah. and, and it was her aunt, my mine yeah, by marriage, married, married in, um, and she and I had really connected, and I also connected with some of her kids on really deep levels, and so I was really hurt and offended because I was basically told, "Oh, I'm here to support this one child of this aunt," and I'm like, "No, I am here to grieve my own loss. Right. It's everyone's and, loss, right? And to support them, yeah, right." Like, I think sometimes we do that. We almost compare degrees mm-hmm. of grief. Yeah. Like, is it is it harder to lose the aunt or the mother? Is it right. worse to lose the son or the husband? Oh yeah, or I the, hate that game. We I have a I have a dear friend who at her husband's burial site as they were leaving the cemetery, her mother in law said to her, "I'm so glad you'll never know what it feels like to lose a son," as she just buried her husband. Now I don't know what it's like to lose a son. I don't want to know. I hope to never know that. But right. I hope my mother-in-law and I don't ever have to sit down and compare. Right. Losing Brent was worse for whom? Losing Brent was harder on right. whom? Um, we do that sometimes, and I think it's that natural I, tendency to take sides. Is, we default to side-taking. We need to be I will careful. Say I, I did that unintentionally, even sure. with my kids. Because I'm like, hey, you guys lost a, a father, but I, I lost my husband. Yeah. And what I meant by, by that, which... They're too young to even sure, understand might have the got statement. lost in translation. I'm sure it was lost in translation. It's one of the things I really regret talking about at all with anyone or or having ever said it out loud. But it, it was in my head. Yeah. And I felt... And it was your reality. It was my reality. And I, I don't know what it's like to lose a parent. I've yeah. never lost my parents. Yeah. 
I have both of my parents, and my parents are both married and together. Yeah, like, which is I, statistically quite unusual. It, right. I which mean. <laughs> we were going to talk about divorce in this segment, too, a little bit. That's a whole other thing. Right. I don't really know that many divorced people. Right. So I'm like, I... Unfamiliar territory. I don't have resources or understanding of certain things. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. Anyway, I I said to my kids, uh, you, you know, you guys lost a father, but I lost my, my spouse. And what I meant to say, but they were all going to back to their homes, back to their spouses. Sure. It wasn't their was everyday alone. reality. It wasn't their every... Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you always know that you're going to at some point hopefully at the very time that you really are praying for your parents death because they're so old and you just want nothing more for them to have peace you're going to bury a parent right and and while this happened too young for my family and I never wanted to compare that so I I feel bad about that but it is hard because I think the in-law connections go downhill too yeah, because the, so for me, I didn't have great in-law connections anyway. Um, John wasn't really close with his family in the first place, even though I had tried to make real connected relationships with them. They weren't interested in having them for to be quite honest. I don't I don't think that they were capable. And I probably wasn't really good at figuring out how to do a good job of creating those connections. So tie that all in together and it's a mess, you know? Yeah. And it takes the effort, and I think it takes worry. Am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it right? I know um, this isn't only an issue for people who've lost a spouse. It's brand new when you're married. Right. Because you come into life with your family way of doing life, and you're married to this family who probably does everything totally the opposite Mm -hmm. way. And I remember my first birthday married, I was just so sad and so disappointed, which is hilarious because we were married like six weeks, but... In our in our family, birthdays are a certain way, and in right. Brent's family, they're a different way. And right. I I went into the marriage with that expectation, right. and that what I thought was normal or supposed to be. And I think learning to let go of that has been important. Now it's interesting. You say you don't know what it's like to lose a parent. You don't know um, a lot of divorced people. I would say, man, what I really crave for both myself and my children is examples of good, strong marriages. Because they know a lot of divorced people. They know a lot of deceased married couples. Like even their grandma. They know grandma's married and they love Papa, but Papa's grandma's second husband. And we talk about Grandpa Rod, the man they never met. And we have one of my brothers is divorced and remarried and his wife is lovely. And I'm so grateful he has her, but it's a second marriage. And mm-hmm. and so there's these different examples. My sister is married to a man who was married before he married her. And so a lot of dynamics But I think if we're talking about how to minimize fallout after tragic loss, what would you say? Are there even any recommendations you would make? I can think of a couple off the bat. The first I would say is it requires effort. Yeah. And the second I would say is don't force yourself to the effort. Like I just had a counseling appointment this past week where I was talking with my counselor about the same thing. My husband comes from a huge family. My husband's family was so important to him. I mean, even when we were broke and newly married and busy, he would fly to the other baby blessing or the other child's baptism or special event. And and we couldn't all go, but he would go. And we'd do the same for my family and just really stay close and connected. And now everyone's older and everyone's married and on with their own lives. And and Brent, who's my connecting person, Mm -hmm. is no longer here. But... 
as I was talking with the counselor, I, I kind of was giving myself the responsibility of making sure everyone has a relationship with everyone. When in reality, there's not going to be a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. There might be some children who connect better with this or that family member um, and not with the other. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to force the relationship. I think we can invite. Mm-hmm. And what she encouraged me to do, which I'm, I'm really thinking a lot about is kind of stepping back and looking at what we value about mm-hmm. those relationships versus what we feel pressured into or what we have to supposed to create. I know my husband's family's made efforts to try to connect with my children and, and they would love to have um, experiences and opportunities, but it might be a different kind of engagement. Like mm-hmm. my husband liked to go hunting with his brothers. So my brothers have tried to take my boys hunting. My boys don't really like to hunt too much, at least a couple of them. And I I want them to have that relationship with their uncles. I don't want to force them to right. have a relationship. I don't think you can force a relationship. So, this is the complicated, bigger overall thing, right? Like yeah. we are all busy. Right. So <laughs> these people have their own lives and their own challenges and their own relationship issues and their own right so we're all so busy and we're all just trying to function but on some level it has to be intentional like we yes. we do actually have to make the effort and does it have to be reciprocal what do you think i think it would be nice if it was reciprocal yeah. but let's so talk about when what i if it's not when i was first um I almost said divorce. When I was first widowed, <laughs> um, we got invited to a family member's Thanksgiving. And I went. And thank goodness, because I was incapable of putting anything together. Yeah, let someone else take care of that. And they also invited some of my kids who opted to go. So it was nice to be around. And John's little brother, he sounds like He's John. the one that's like him, right? I yeah. remember you've mentioned him before. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's Linda's. Linda's husband. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so that was really nice. And my youngest does, um, some stuff with one of their kids and, and they have a connection, but we really haven't stayed connected. The connection comes from me picking up the phone and making the call, but you know, they also have a bunch of young kids sure. at home. Sure. A lot's going um, on. She, a lot going on. Linda's got some health issues. She's reteaching herself a a whole new way of eating and like I acknowledge like I'm not going to say like oh they're just not interested I'm not going to make that assumption you can't discount that right I can't discount that so like but I don't really know because I actually haven't picked up the phone to to say hey are you still interested (laughs) either right so but I do pick up the phone and call them every once in a while and I'll see them this weekend because we've got a funeral to go to Mm, and um and so there, there's that. I think it needs to be intentional. I think intentional is huge. I think reciprocal would be nice, but we can't have that expectation. That's it goes what back I was to expectations. Say. If you're only willing to put in the effort and the intent to have a relationship because you expect reciprocation, you're never, and that's true for any relationship. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. You've got to be willing to give what you're willing to give with no strings attached. And then hopefully, if both parties do that, then the relationship can grow. But I agree with you. We can't we can't come in with the expectation. I don't think we can come in with the forced relationship. And I don't think that we can pressure or burden ourselves with the responsibility to make sure everything 
is picture perfect in every right. relationship. It's not reality. It's not reality. And it's an unfair weight to carry. You know, I find myself thinking, well, if Brent were alive, we'd probably do this. Or if Brent were here, that's great, but it's not what the reality yeah. is. And we've got to be able to adapt to to today. And uh, Yeah. We and need to take forward. a break. But I, this is all triggered one more thing that I'd like to wrap up with, actually. She's and, leading into suspense. <laughs> and it's un. Unspoken expectations. Unspoken agreements. Okay. Let's talk about that when we return. We'll be right back. triggered me to start processing something that I'm actually discussing a lot with my current boyfriend. Hi, Michael. (laughs) Um, Unspoken agreements. We get into relationships. You had unspoken agreements with your father and your father's family. And then you, you know, you you get married to Brent. You have unspoken agreements from your childhood about what birthdays look like, right? They're just unspoken agreements that we've all made. Which is so unfair to whoever we've made that silent agreement with. Right. Because they have no idea. Because they have no yeah. idea. But we're also not necessarily consciously making these agreements, right? You came in six weeks into your marriage thinking my birthday is going to be amazing. He's going to wake up. He's going to acknowledge it, whatever it was for you. I'm making up a story now, but whatever that was for you. And he gets up and he's like, whatever, it's just another day and goes out the door and doesn't acknowledge he comes to work. And you're going, what just happened? He's supposed to do all these lovely things Well, no, things I had a very me. specific thing that I thought well, a birthday was. Did. Looking back, it's very unfair. So my mom would make us pancakes on our birthday. Uh-huh. With the pancake in the shape of the letter of our name. Oh. <laughs> How could Brent Taylor have known that all I wanted was, was a, a J-shaped J- pancake? Right. I mean, really, like I look back now and I'm mortified. I'm like, honey, please forgive me. <laughs> in your death, I hope you can know that I didn't understand what a ridiculous unspoken agreement. Right. A birthday has to include um, a pancake shaped like a J. J. Come on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yes, but, so, so point made, point made. Right? So we, we create these in all of them. I think we're in an interesting time right now, and I think it's actually why a lot of people are getting divorced in their 40s and 50s, because we're getting to a conscious state of awareness of, of ourselves, I think, and we're starting to realize these unspoken agreements, they don't work for me. Like, I don't want to be in this agreement anymore. John and I had unspoken agreements. And some of them were very deliberate and spoken. So I remember we were uh, two or three years married. And I was having a hard time managing all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. I was trying to help him in the yard. I was trying to take care of the house. I was trying to stay on top of laundry. I was was trying to learn how to clean a house because I really had never learned how to manage an entire Mm -hmm. household on my own, right? Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was running a daycare, so I had 12 kids in my house during the week. (laughs) And so I'm trying to figure all of these pieces out. And John said to me one day, let's just make this easy. I'm outside. You're inside. Which means I did... The inside stuff. And I... That's my... That's exactly what I said. 
But Jenny, today, I'm outside and your inside doesn't work for me. Number one, I discovered how cheap mowing a lawn is. To pay somebody else to do it? Yes. <laughs> and I'm like... Very outsourceable, John. <laughs> I'm like, he was getting away with some low-end work while I was doing some high-end management, right? I was managing the kids. The kids were inside the house. Yes. So I managed the kids, their school, their schoolwork, their activities. I did all of the cooking. John never gave me a recipe or even said to me, I feel like eating anything. food? Nothing. I had to create meals every day on my own. But he mowed the lawn. I was so <laughs> laughing over here. Because my instinct would be like, okay, that's fair. Brent and I, we, we joke. Because we're, for one thing, Brent and I are very serious, old-fashioned. Probably most people would say boring mm-hmm. people. We went on our honeymoon to Park City for the mm-hmm. weekend because we both had to be to work on Monday. I mean, I regret that so much. So much. I should have traveled with that man. Anyway. We were back to work on Monday, but we had what we called the Park City Accords. I mean, this is how cheesy we are. And we sat down on our honeymoon and talked about kind of some of these role expectations. Mm -hmm. And at the time, we were both working, but we both had planned from the beginning that once we had children, I would be home and he would work. I would cook dinner. He would do the dishes. So we did go through some of that. But we didn't get as specific as I want Jay pancakes. (laughs) And I did not take all (laughs) of inside. Although I really did. Right. Jenny, I was inside, which meant I cooked, I did all the cleaning, I did all, the all of the dishes. Right. So I look back on that, I'm like, this actually was not equitable in any way. So it's it's been interesting because one of the things I love to do with Michael is we collaborate on what we're going to eat. Mm. What what country are we going to eat tonight? Oh, oh I, I'm I thinking like Mediterranean. Okay, wow. let's do this. And we come up with I'm a like, recipe. I'm like, it's Tuesday. We're having tacos. He went to Hungary. I'm like, what did you eat when you were there that you enjoyed? Let's make that. We cool. make chicken paprikash. Um, to, this weekend, we just went on our first trip together. There was a spice place in Ohio that had really interesting spices from all around the world. I was able to find some sweet Hungarian uh, paprika, oh, which cool. we were not able to locate here. When trying to make and, that dish. Yeah, and now we want to recreate that dish and and taste. Okay, so now you're triggering something else that we don't Uh have time for today. But I love what you're talking about this new relationship Mm -hmm. and how it is either built on things you for sure want to continue from the relationship you had with John or things you want to do differently. And I think that's its own conversation. It it is its own conversation. It's interesting, though, because what the difference is and why I bring it up is there's a difference between unspoken agreements and the conscious choice conversation to have a conscious relationship. I want to cook with you. I want, and we cook together. We clean together. We do different parts of the recipe. We collaborate on the entire meal. We sit down instead of a word of prayer. It's a a moment of gratitude. And we talk about, about what we're grateful for. And then we enjoy this meal and clean it all up. And it's an hour event and sometimes maybe an hour and a half, two if it's the recipe's really involved. involved. Sure. Um, but, you know, sometimes he gets off work and I'm like, okay, well, sometimes we'll plan it out. So, like, I will go do the grocery shopping so that so we can prepared. cut out that time because I, I we have other things we want to get done. But mostly he wants to go shopping with me. John never went shopping with me. 
when the pandemic first happened, a friend Brett, um, Brett and I used to go to Costco together and split products because oh, when you're single because you don't need the big bulk right but you, you know you can split the cost and uh-huh. you can get two loaves of bread or, or yep. you can get the four loaves of bread but you can stick two Each in the two. Sure. F- freezer or whatever it's nice to have someone and i remember brett going i go wow this is really nice to have someone to go shopping with me again now john did do costco runs with me but he but not never went to the grocery, grocery store, store with sure. me. i don't think ever john went shopping by himself for things but like we didn't go shopping for Brent, dinner stuff. Brent grocery shopped like if I just had a baby, maybe. <laughs> like we yeah, had isn't a very that weird. It's like, but for us, but I a, think that's traditional. A those, yes, a lot of those I had things a traditional worked. marriage. But I like what your point is. The point isn't who should or shouldn't do mm-hmm. what chore or what relationship or what piece of it. It's the communication about right. it. It's the expectation. And I would say we sometimes have unspoken agreements with ourselves where we're expecting or putting the weight. When in reality. If we sat down and thought it through, it'd be okay to set that aside. And maybe that's a good note to end on. The resilience of our relationships after mm-hmm. death, loss, divorce, whatever it is, part of the resilience of those relationships might be some honest introspection. Do I want these relationships? Do I need them? Do mm-hmm. I value them? If you do, then you need to put in the effort. For sure and that happens, right? And some might be okay to say, you know what, that was a beautiful thing while it lasted and it's not going to last that's, forever. And that's right. okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, with my kids and their different extended family members and their personalities, all of us are going to have these different, beautiful, hopefully um, dynamic mm-hmm. relationships, not stagnant, but not forced, not I, falsely expected. I think... If I was to talk about the resilient nature of relationships after loss, I mean, you totally just triggered this. This is completely just <laughs> hitting me right now. Um, you just said, it's okay, things change. You can let go. I think what happens is we we evaluate everything and everything in relationships feels so intense at the moment of loss of of your person. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard not to have those other relationships. Any shift in them feels like a big loss. Right. And re-triggers grief. It feels very in its scary. own way, right? And we have to realize that relationships are actually always changing. Right. It's just that in the moment of grief, it becomes really clear. You start to see some relationships were never working and they need to go. Yep. And, and you that, cut those off. And that can be okay too. Yeah. And that's right. okay. But also the intentional part of like, what do I want to re- create with those extended family members, with other people in my life, whether it's for the relationship for my children or if it's the relationship because I desire that. I want those people to still be in my life. I have always really loved John's family. I don't think they've ever really liked me very much, but um, I'm also okay with that. Yeah, you've got to get to where you need to be with that. So this is the other piece that is in another show entirely, and one I'd love to have Michael back on for, is the piece that I think I've learned to love myself after this relationship and losing John in a way that I never loved myself before, that I couldn't possibly figure out how to move on until I first started to accept myself, all my Absolutely, flaws. Absolutely, this is another episode. I feel like I'm in the middle of the same. 
And I would say... All my flaws. I've also... The good and the bad. I know myself better. Mm -hmm. I'm learning to love myself better. I know Brent better. Mm -hmm. And I love him better after death. And maybe that's where we're going to leave it for, for next time. And I would love... Let's throw this out for our listeners. Wouldn't you all love to hear me interview Michelle and Michael? And, and not knowing what the long-term mm-hmm. outcome of your relationship is, but what is the current? Because there are so many people who are listening that have faced relationship loss that might be in, in the mindset of what does it look like? What can it look like? And not that everyone has to pattern yeah, and it I don't off think, of you. Yeah, and here's the thing. But, uh, Michael and I don't know what it looks like, and, and, and that's the great part. But I think that's what we'd love to talk about. How are, mm-hmm. you, how are you exploring? It's very exploratory. Mm-hmm. You're exploring this relationship. He's divorced. You're widowed. Um, your, I've had some you realizations. Have, this you have weekend. similarities. You have differences. Yeah. I love to talk about that for the insight it yep. can provide people like me who just go, "Oh my gosh, remarriage sounds like a train wreck," or any kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Let's look at that without a final answer. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. We don't. It's not just before and after. Let's sit in the middle. Yeah, you know, before I started dating Michael, I thought, "Oh, I'll never remarry." But I'd really like to find someone that I can be in a relationship with long term. <laughs> Yeah, but I not necessarily marriage, and I also thought that having an, a partnership where we live separately. The funny thing is, is Michael doesn't live close to me at all, so our relationship very much is that, and we have to make the best of the time that we actually do get to spend together. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting that that would be an interesting. That makes me a little bit nervous, but I bet he'd be willing to do it. He's so open. Well, in and so again, many ways. not looking for any definitives. Yeah, but I think I think. In fact, I had a friend point this out to me very recently. We look so much at before and after in our culture that we don't appreciate the middle. We show before my house was ugly. Now it's remodeled and beautiful. Before I was unhealthy and unfit. Now I've got a beach ready body. Before after before after. When in reality we live. In the process, mm-hmm. and I would love to help learn what what resilience tools about relationships in an ongoing unknown ending. It's and where so is scary. That? It's yeah, so I'm sure scary. it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, All right. that's going to wrap this uh, show up. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. We hope that you will reach out to us and let us let you tell your story because we know. We have things to learn from you. If you or someone you know has faced some life experiences that has given them the chance to develop tools of resilience, please contact us. You can email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com or find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor... You'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. 
Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.